2: now
3: Now, noblegoldinvestments.com. This performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision.
4: Hey, everybody. So good to be live with you. So just this week, the World Economic Forum has kicked off in Davos, Switzerland, and then just a few hours away in Geneva, Switzerland, the World Health Assembly is underway. So I am going to touch on both of those today as well as give you uh, the latest what you need to know on monkeypox, the latest hysteria. Hopefully my internet connection is okay out here. I am uh, visiting family in Wisconsin right now. Okay, so I've got a lot of sound bites from the World Economic Forum. They are back meeting in person planning uh, global affairs Um, and I know we've heard a lot of scary sound bites out of World Economic Forum before Just sound bites that give people a lot of pause like when uh, at previous World Economic Forums global leaders have been talking about how surveillance is now going to go under our skin Uh, what does that mean and uh, you know that was Yuval Noah Harari who's a part of a part of the World Economic Forum. He spoke that many times, as well as, you know, the Pfizer CEO speaking at previous World Economic Forum saying, oh, yeah, I'm thrilled that the FDA has now approved new new technology that's a chip that goes inside the pill. When you ingest it, then the chip, chip tracks you and and remotely tells others that you've taken the pill. You know, stuff like that is like, huh, what are they planning at World Economic Forum? <laughs> Okay, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, I feel like something's up with my mic here. Let me make sure it's okay. Okay, so um, that is why a lot of people are like, what is the World Economic Forum all about? And now there is a funny, interesting article, CNBC, how Davos became a target for conspiracy theorists and anarchists. Um, And so it's kind of... Making fun of everyone who's who's give you know paused and had alarm over a lot of the sound bites coming out of previous World Economic Forums, um, and it's interesting. A lot of the media is now rebranding World Economic Forum this time around as just calling it the Davos Forum. I guess there's a little bit too uh, too much uh, concern about what happens with World Economic Forum. Um, I'm going to dive into some sound bites that came out of there today. Before I do, shout out to the sponsor of my coverage, Amazing Clean Air. Check this out. A recent study reveals that our homes' indoor air is up to five times more polluted than outdoor air. The study also says that Lead, radon, tobacco, smoke, and more can all increase the toxicity in our home's air. This is why I'm such a huge fan of home air purifiers. This device uh, uses best-in-class purifying technology uh, to scrub 99.7% of indoor air pollutants. It is three-stage purification process makes your home's air healthier for you and your family to breathe. I noticed a huge difference after just the first night with it running in the background. I woke up feeling like I had the best night's sleep. So if you
5: want to make your home healthier, get a portable... Go to Up to get yours um here it is
4: i've got mine with me portable uh three level pure air purifier highly recommend it link down in descri- description okay
5: so uh, cnbc is trying to debunk your fears over uh target for conspiracy theorists and anarchists nearly
4: 2500 global leaders from business politics and civil society are expected to take part in a rare springtime version of Davos this week they go on to write uh, bill uh, bill gates will be in attendance uh, as well as george
5: soros uh, bill gates is actually speaking to cut out am i back yet guys
4: so bill gates speaking tomorrow at world economic forum his topic is going to be preparing for the next pandemic gates has everything in the works i already know he's going to talk about we need more needle needle factories um he's written about this on his personal blog uh to to more adequately prepare for the next pandemic we need more needle factories um so that you know, we need the multiple in every, you con- know, in, in every continent, so that needles can be quickly disseminated more quickly than last time. Okay, one interesting thing that was discussed at World Economic Forum today, and that it's going all the way through Thursday. Tons of panels, tons of topics, but they were talking about artificial intelligence and government surveillance, and I know that's a thing that concerns a lot of people right now. Uh, one of the panels, and and I've linked down below to uh, their schedule if you want to see it world economic forums schedule this week uh but today uh there was a panel called ai in on the street and uh it was interesting uh takeyuki morita is a man who is the ceo of nec corporation dealing with it and he spoke about the fact that artificial intelligence biometrics and 5g are all connected right now biometrics is uh the ability of a computer to read something like your fingerprint, your iris, or your face, and immediately recognize your identity. So he's saying that artificial intelligence would be, uh, it's connected to the biometrics, which means um, computerized bots can pick up who you are right away based on on your uh, identity. I know that... The state of Texas is dealing with this right now. The, uh, they're suing Facebook because Facebook has been collecting people's biometrics in regards to their, their face associated with filters that a lot of people uh, put on their face, <laughs> more, most popularly on Insta Stories, which is owned by Facebook. So Texas has temporarily banned um Face filters through Instagram right now. Uh, State of Illinois has as well at last check uh, in regards to the uh, Facebook storing the data that they collect. They the, their computers map out your face. And what are they going to do with that? The White House has already said they're working with Facebook and cert- to a certain extent. So is the government going to be um, watch, um Tracking us, you know, based on having a map of our face and seeing who we are. So um, this man uh, from NEC Corporation, CEO, saying the artificial intelligence, the biometrics and 5G are all connected. He didn't explain why how 5G is connected but he clearly stated that that was very interesting. And he, he said the issue is it's not clear who is handling the data and how. And that is the biggest issue, that this technology has advanced to the point where companies are collecting data that enables them or someone to track us very closely. But who is Handling that data, our government's handling handling that data, and how are they handling it? So he's saying this is this is a concern. Um, the panel went on to talk about uh, that their their companies do indeed have a lot of data that they don't want to have, including um, cameras tracking people and phones tracking people. So let me uh, play for you some sound bites. Make sure you guys can hear me out here in Wisconsin. Okay, so let me play for you. Uh, One of the people on the panel was Angela Odor Lungati, if I'm saying that right. She is a Kenyan born in Ukraine. She is sounding the alarm
6: against the surveillance take list. I remember, I think two years ago, we went out with a bunch of friends and to be granted entry into the building, um, they required our facial recognition data. And I was probably the only person amongst the whole group who asked Why are you collecting this data and how are you going to make use of it? And one of the scary things um, for me in that case is that it sheds a light into how oblivious many people are about what risks these technology tools actually create um, or might expose them to. Um, In our case, I don't think anybody's asking you for consent. Nobody's telling you who's going to get access to this data and what's going to happen to it afterwards. And so that's a huge gap. Um, I think we're also very well aware of um, the how these technology tools or the AI is also exacerbate existing inequalities um, you know propagating um, some biases that already exist and that is largely a function of who is building these tools and the kinds of data that are fed um, into these systems right and I think that's why we have groups like black in AI and researchers like dr Timid Gebru who are doing quite a lot to shed light into the challenges um, around this and of course one of the biggest ones that's also been mentioned is this idea of over policing right and how there could be much more surveillance being um, being propagated on, um, on ordinary people um, or propor- proportionately discriminating um, marginalized groups under the guise of trying to use us to predict uh, criminal activity so that that would be my perspective.
7: Thank you, Andrea. Very good, important point, I think. Uh, the point about how the system is trained. So, most of the systems use deep learning. You're familiar with deep learning as a type of AI, and what you do, you train it with a, with a set of faces, and then it learns how to recognize uh, those faces later. And clearly, the training set sometimes has biases. So, it can recognize, better or worse, certain type of faces, or based you know, the features, color, and so on. And so, that's another issue. This issue probably is more easily solvable, because it's a technical issue, than the rest about uh, how it's being used. And I, I'd like to get back to what you were saying about over policing and, mm-hmm. and, and bringing this to Minister Rao, uh, you know, because I know that really in your state, um, Minister, uh, policing with uh, facial recognition has uh, I think created a significant debate.
4: Did you see her face when he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, the facial t- recognition technology can uh, analyze skin color as well. And she's just like, yeah, who's a fan of that? Not me. Um, so I want to go on to um, another man on on the panel, a uh, representative from India named K.T. Rama Rao. Uh, he is talking about how the Indian government has really implemented uh, this artificial intelligence, facial recognition sort of technology already to quite a great extent, and he's actually a fan of it. Here it is.
8: Artificial ...intelligence in our government. I would give you four examples which will tell you uh, on how we have benefited uh, citizens at large from government to citizen interface, on the government to citizen interface. And the first thing I'll tell you is about a very, very unique, uh, you know, program that we run called RTDAI, Real-Time Digital Authentication of Identity. Now, this is basically consensual. The citizen has to give a consent that I am okay for my identity or my face being recognized, you know, to, in order to uh, get some services delivered. For example... If I'm a senior citizen, I'm 65 plus, I receive a pension from the government. Now, <clears throat> to be able to obtain it, I all I have to do is look into my phone, send a picture to a specific number, and that's about it. So, therefore, you don't actually have to go physically to an office. Saves you time, saves you energy. You know, a kind of uh, you know, decarbonizes the world as well. The second example I'll tell you, in fact, uh, which I think is extremely important. Renewal of a driver's license. You know, you already have taken the driving test. You're, you're already there. You, for, but it has been given for a specific period, so you're renewing it. You actually don't have to physically go to the DMV, the director of uh, motor vehicle. You could renew your driver's license in my state on a Sunday because using, using simple facial recognition. That's the second thing I'll tell you. The third thing I'll tell you, which I think is equally important. We've, uh, you know, we all talk about voting and how people need to participate in large numbers in a democracy. We've tried in a local election uh, to give facial, rec- using facial recognition, Giving people e-voting, I think Estonia has tried it. A number of other countries have done it. We've also tried it, and it has been very, very successful in, in, as a pilot. So, if you use a consensual uh, uh, method, if you ensure that citizens actually are given, uh, uh, you know, choice of consent, and then also ensure that the government and the officials in the government are educated, not to be, or uh, educated and also limited in terms of their access to the data. I think uh, it's, a, it's a win-win solution. Yes, there has been criticism, there has been concerns, but by and large, I think it has been a successful model, model and uh, it's been helping the society at large. So.
4: The panel goes on to discuss how people react when given the option to be tracked and surveilled or not.
7: This is an experiment of putting some facial recognition in the Biennale, but then we ask a university in the U.S. called Cooper Union to do a little sticker you could put on your forehead. Uh, in order to be out of the system. And guess what? Over 50% of the people, of the Chinese people, going to the Biennale actually would put the sticker. So there's also something that may be some assumption, some preconception also, because we, we don't necessarily ask everybody, do you want it or not? But uh, I take your point about, uh, yeah. About... Can, I, can I make a, uh, we had a building where um, we had a very simple camera that would register the, the, the plates of the cars. And uh, the, the, the tenants say, hey, we don't want to do so that because then people, we can really see when people come in and come out. And, but then we ask the tenants, the individuals using, using the parking garage, do you want to opt in or opt out? 100% opted in. Because it was so easy that that, that car door, that that door of the garage opened up automatically instead of having to push a button, et cetera. And what you see is that a lot of people uh, actually want to opt in if it has a benefit to their daily lives.
4: So that is interesting that the option to opt out, would you would have to wear a sticker right here. Who's going to want to wear a sticker right here, right there saying they don't want to be surveilled? Um, interesting discussions. I wanted to show you actually the intro from Klaus Schwab, the founder of Economic Forum. He's discussing the topics that they will be talking about this week. Like I said, Bill Gates uh, coming out tomorrow is going to be talking about how he is preparing for the next pandemic. But here's Klaus Schwab today introing it.
9: The theme of our coming together is history at the turning point. Government policies, corporate strategies. We will focus the program mainly on four different areas first the war in ukraine the aggression on ukraine
4: yeah so uh those are his issues it, he he went on and on about ukraine at that point so i just cut it off but he's he was a big fan of ukraine he actually had a volodymyr zelensky skype in for an extended period to talk about it and he said that um, Zelensky, we got you because whatever you're going through affects us. Uh, on another panel today, uh, there was a big discussion of uh, why, why the U.S.'s economy is suffering so much. And um, panelists discussed you know, the fact that we've been overprinting money it's uh, kind of the reason but it was interesting they got into talking about um digital currencies um and cryptocurrencies and the PayPal CEO was there on the panel Dan Schulman he you know PayPal is is a website that allowed users one of the first websites to allow users to actually pay through bitcoin which is a big deal uh Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency that cannot be manipulated uh, due to blockchain technology design. And that's different than government-run digital currencies. People get confused about the difference. There's a reason that government leaders hate Bitcoin. Some governments have banned Bitcoin. Um, They say terrible things about Bitcoin. It's because governments can't control Bitcoin. It's different than other currencies and so don't get it confused with government designed currencies digital currencies which are way different and um he kind of uh the paypal ceo kind of tries to tell people the difference in his um highly advanced understanding of this that flies over a lot of people's heads broader impact of the ukraine
9: yeah, i think people always conflate four different things when they talk about crypto or digital currencies There's kind of cryptocurrencies that are an asset class that people trade in. Then there is kind of programmable money, which is something very interesting where you can add utility to payments by creating software around that payment that allows you to do something you couldn't have done in just the traditional payment sphere. I think that's very interesting. There's stable coins, and I think stable coins actually have a, some very interesting uh, use cases to them. They have to be backed one by one by fiat currency. It can't be like, yeah, and you have to disclose it. And I, I think the legislation that you're looking at, I think is very helpful in doing that. But to Adina's point on a stable coin, if you have a stable coin, it's 24 by seven. something You can fundamentally reorient B2B. For instance, 24 by 7, no intermediaries could take costs out of the system. I think there are real use cases for a stablecoin that are tremendously interesting, but it's got to have trust and it's got to be backed completely. And then you have central bank issued digital currencies, which, you know, uh, many of us have, you know, different opinions. Like how could that work? What is it necessary? Why? But there you have the you have the full faith and backing of the government behind that central bank issue. It's
6: just it's that technological advancement of, of money. So you, exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's and, the way to look at it. And the
10: programmable I feature, I think, is huge. Yeah, I think we can't probably can't even imagine the applications that will come about from the ability to build into um, into money itself an automatic transaction that occurs based on some extraneous event that's verifiable. Yeah, that's I think going to be a big deal. Yeah.
4: So that last person who spoke is Senator Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania. I didn't know that he was he working on passing legislation regarding digital currencies, which again, digital currencies is what a lot of people fear for a good reason because it.
2: we wow. you
1: FighterFlare.com
4: it's different from Bitcoin, which is the blockchain, unmanipulatable. Senator Pat Toomey is the same senator that one of my YouTube viewers, Doug, wrote an email to, got a response in regards to the World Health Assembly, also happening this week, also happening in Switzerland. And Senator Toomey's response was um, interesting. It was it kind of went back and forth and was confusing. I want to read it again for you guys a little bit before we get into what's happening at world world health, World Health Assembly this week, so toomey said, in response to this viewer being concerned about the fact that uh, there is a list of recommended amendments to the Global treaty on health presented by the Biden administration,
5: some clauses of which give. More power: cut out. Looks like my connection cut out again. Uh, hopefully I'm back. So
4: the world health director, why would we want to give him more power to decide uh, single-handedly whether there is a health emergency or not? Maybe he's a guy who's extra scared of monkeypox and is going to call a global health emergency when there's only 92 cases right now and we don't need to call a global health emergency. Why would we leave that up to one man? Because right now how the treaty is written is that all of the nations get to uh, decide, I think it's 194 nations globally who are part of this treaty, Um, they all get to have their say on whether something's a health emergency. But right now the U.S. wants to allow Tedros to have single-handed control of whether we decide uh, to call a global health emergency and the uh, economic repercussions that that might lead to, like we saw in 2020. So the viewer writes into Senator Pat Toomey voicing his concern, and Toomey said in part here, quote, as you may know, if the President of the United States decides to sign an international treaty,
5: two-thirds of the United States Senate must ratify the treaty before it takes effect. I t- it's like we cut out again. All right. He, so Toomey says he is strongly opposed to any attempt
4: to ignore the constitutional authority of the Senate. That said, he goes on, the president has the ability to enter into executive agreements and political commitments between heads of state without the consent of the Senate. However, neither executive agreements nor political commitments are binding under domestic U.S. law, and both can be revoked or reversed unilaterally by subsequent administrations. So basically... He just said, well, Biden can't do anything without, without a senator signing, uh, s- signing the treaty or signing off on this treaty. Then he goes on to say, actually, Biden can. Uh, he can just enter into agreements with other governments and then a later administration would have to uh, reverse that. And, you know, we've seen how the Biden administration uh, has single handedly enacted things like mask mandates on planes uh, which were later ruled unconstitutional by uh, federal court. So, the Biden admin is already creating this record of of just doing, making big moves that impact people's lives. Um, I mean, he uh, he almost got the the needle mandate through for corporate employees uh, for corporations of 100 more people, and uh, he was trying for that. Uh, But the court struck it down. Now he he succeeded in the mask mandate. It's clear that he, he, you know, something like this, if he entered a global treaty, a global agreement without the Senate's consent, and he told people, told Americans they had to do certain things because Tedros, the WHO leader, said so, if Biden said that, according to our history in the past 2 years those things would be would indeed be things that the american people would have to do if Tedros says for in, for for example that monkeypox is sweeping the world and everyone needs a monkeypox needle you know and biden said all of us americans got to do it now because we have a new treaty with pedros according to america's history in regards to things like mask mandates, Congress did not have our backs. Congress did not have the American people's backs in in that situation. So I'm just saying that I think it is something to be concerned about this week, the world health assembly. And I am told that that vote on the treaty amendments is supposed to take place tomorrow at the world health assembly, uh, meeting in geneva switzerland which is about five hours away from where uh the world economic forum is meeting right now i wanted to show you guys uh this article on the world health assembly from washington post quote global health talks clouded by conspiracy theories about pandemic treaty um this article, they actually changed um, the headline of that article. It used to say World Health Assembly clouded by pandemic treaty backlash because the American people are backlashing. And I don't think it's just the Americans. People from other countries, too, are are sending a lot of backlash in regards to,
5: to this these treaty amendments. But the way the original headline was written. backlashing so they had to try to you know
4: smear and belittle these people by calling them conspiracy theorists so they re- rewrote it quote global health talks clouded by conspiracy theories about pandemic treaty and um guys i've i've already done two youtubes on the on this uh pandemic treaty so if you want the intricate details of it um you got to check my youtube last week um W.H.O. Power Grab 101, I think is what I titled it. And I, I linked to the actual amendments that we're, we're discussing. Well, you can actually see the amendments drafted by the American government and um, you see uh, Biden's point person who uh, signed off on on these amendments. Uh, so it says here, Washington Post, quote, global health leaders gathered in Geneva on Sunday to discuss the pandemic are facing another viral problem, a visceral, passionate online backlash that falsely accuses the World Health Organization of conspiring to take power from national governments. Hmm. The World Health Assembly, the decision-making body of the WHO's 194 member states, is holding its first fully in-person event in two years, as some... Uh, Illness-related restrictions are lifted while the Assembly, now in its 75th year, is usually considered a dry, technocratic event. This year, it's being framed by conspiracy theorists as a key moment in the battle between democracy and tyranny. The theories focus largely on the discussion of a pandemic treaty, a potential agreement that could one day regulate how countries prepare for and respond to future pandemics. Though such a treaty will not be agreed upon at the assembly, the backlash has spread fast and far and beyond the world of global health. Yeah, I think it goes on to say, yeah, yeah, the final draft 2024, is when this treaty would take full effect, 2024. So they're, you know, after after you know, calling names to all the people who are concerned about their individual liberty. Down in the middle of the article, they they talk about how it's um, 2024 that that would that the treaty would actually go through. Which Senator Toomey in his letter uh, talked about that as well. Um, he says here, WHO member states will have until. August 2022 to decide upon an initial draft and, and a final agreement will be ratified in May of 2024. The Biden administration has publicly stated that while it will take part in negotiations, it will ultimately oppose a binding treaty. Really interesting that to me is saying that when it was the Biden administration that presented these amendments to begin with, um, now, speaking of, uh, of global health, we've got a big new concern about monkeypox. And uh, I did want to touch on monkeypox today. So the latest is that there are 92 cases globally of monkeypox, 12 countries in total. It's similar to smallpox, uh, people who had the monkeypox needle. Here's the key. According to CNBC, citing World Health Org, they say that people who had monkeypox, who had smallpox in the arm, when they got it in the arm, the needle, they have an 85% immunity to monkeypox. That's how similar monkeypox is to smallpox. Now, I've previously covered the fact that a lot of American parents have stopped giving their kids needles in the arm. I just wonder, you know, those childhood needles, I just wonder if all this hysteria is a global push to get more parents to go back to the doctor with a kid and, and load their kid back up with all the needles like parents used to do because, you know... The government likes parents to take their kid in multiple times to get, uh, what is it, 30 or so needles in the arm by the time they are five
5: years old. And now after the pandemic, parents are starting to think for themselves and be like, why am Sorry for the spotty service, guys. Uh, so monkeypox is unique
4: in that uh, it takes a long time to incubate. So by the time you finally show symptoms, who knows uh, where you got the monkeypox from. Uh, I want to show you an image of what monkeypox actually looks like. World Health Organization has
5: this on its website. Again. Now, okay. Hopefully, we're back. Yeah. So, as you can see,
4: um, these are big old um, rashes and infections that happen on your face and your arms and hands. Uh, I'm told even on the soles of your feet as well. And it's interesting. Uh, breaking news today: The Associated Press is saying that
5: this illness likely spread. It likely spread. Um, Spear- appears to have spread between men having sex with each other, May-
4: spreading monkeypox, according to um, the Associated Press and-, and CNBC. Now, this is 92 cases globally in 12 countries. The reason health officials are raising alarm is, is because prior to this, it was only confined to Africa, and people are wondering why monkeypox is suddenly surfacing in Europe. Again, this is an insanely low number of cases, but health officials are like, why has it suddenly surfaced here? Monkeypox is not, it it doesn't spread easily. You have to have super close contact, but it does, according to these health officials, it it does remain on surfaces for quite a while. Uh, the, uh, the, The illness of the monkeypox can stay alive like on a bed sheet for quite a matter of time so that if someone else got on that bed sheet, they could pick up the... Illness themselves. Uh, so, I have I've linked down below a really interesting um, thought from Christina Bor- Borgeson, who's former CBS reporter, as I recall, she had a similar situation to me where her news network suppressed facts on the ground and punished her in regards to the real cause of a plane crash. Anyway, she's out of the corporate news industry and seeking truth. Now she had an interesting guest on, who talked about the fact that monkeypox is actually used. Um, monkeypox is actually used um, in testing in bio labs, um, in in messing around with the creation creation of um, smallpox, if. If you were to spread smallpox, the way that researchers look at how smallpox could spread is by using the monkeypox illness in these bio labs. So I linked her uh, segment on that down below. Um, The question is, you know did something come out a, of a bio lab in europe because we know things are going down in europe right now and there's bio bio labs in ukraine so she just puts that thought into our heads which is something uh we shouldn't think about as well now i wanted to play a sound bite for you from biden he uh was asked about monkeypox today here it is
11: your health advisors told you your level of concern should be about monkeypox in and the cases that are in the United States and
9: around the world? Well, they haven't told me the level of exposure yet, but it is something that everybody should be concerned about. We're working on it hard to figure out what we do and what uh,
5: vaccine, if any, may be available for. It. But it is a concern in the sense that if it were to spread, it's consequential. That's all they've told me.
4: Um, there is a a needle for monkeypox that's already been developed I think
5: it came out in 2019 um, but uh Time magazine has an not- Okay, so it looks like this is probably not going
4: to spread. And I want to give you guys, I mean, it's not going to spread far. Um, The death rate is known to be higher from monkeypox, higher than other illnesses, uh, up to 10% um, in some areas. But with um, better health care in developed countries, it's closer to 1% or 2%. Uh, from monkeypox. Now, I want to give you guys some perspective by looking back to 2017. Tucker Carlson covered this issue in 2017. This is not the first monkeypox scare we've had. Um, as you'll recall, throughout the 21st century, news um, news has been scaring people with various illnesses, um, saying that they're going to sweep the world. They never do. 2020 is the first time it actually happened, and now people take these scares a little more seriously and are like, hey, back off, government. But um, Here's the thing. Tucker Carlson Featured um, this monkeypox scare back in 2017. It was a scare back then. It didn't get develop into into anything. Hopefully, it won't again. This time, here's Tucker's segment.
12: Well, parts of Africa are seeing a deadly outbreak of a disease called monkeypox. It's been around for a while and it pops up occasionally in a big way right now. The disease is incurable. It could reach this country before we know it's coming. It's got a long incubation period of about 16 days. What's the nature of the threat? And is it one to this country? Dr. Ashini Raj is an associate professor of medicine at NYU Langone Health, which is a terrific place, and she joins us tonight. Doctor, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. So, if it it takes a couple of weeks for a person infected with monkeypox to show symptoms. That suggests you could have people coming over here with it and then they get sick from it in the United States. What happens then? How contagious is it? What are the effects?
11: Well, the good news is it's not very easily spread between person to person. It's actually more easily spread from a wild animal to a person. Uh, but it can be spread amongst human beings and that's usually through respiratory droplets but very close contact. So a caregiver of someone who's sick with this virus That's the kind of person who'd be more prone to get it. But it's still concerning because, as you said, it can be fatal in up to 10 percent of cases. That's a pretty deadly kind of virus.
12: Is there any kind of defense against it?
11: There's no treatment for it. Now, it is similar to smallpox. So the smallpox vaccine does offer some protection against the monkeypox. However, it's not specifically designed for it, and there is no specific treatment for it other than supportive care. Occasionally, a general antiviral medication can be seen and can be given in very severe cases, but it doesn't always work.
12: Huh. So if you had an outbreak in this country do, with obviously the most advanced medical care in the world, do you think you'd still see a 10% fatality rate?
11: I mean, the range is between 2 to 10% in terms of fatality. And because our care is so great in this country, we would hope to be closer to the 1% or 2% level. But again, there is no actual cure for it. So certainly immunocompromised people, young children would be more prone to really succumbing to this virus. So it still could be very deadly even in this country, which is why it's so important that scientists from this country are over in Africa trying to really get a better handle on what causes it, how is it transmitted, because we can't just sort of keep our head in the sand and think it's over there, it's far away. As you said, we're a global society now. Anything can come here in
4: a matter of a couple days.
12: As with so many diseases. Dr. Raj, thank you very much for your perspective.
4: Thank you. Sorry about my mic issue. I'm seeing your comments right now. Um, My mic is turned all the way up here, so I literally... Don't know what's going on with uh, broadcasting on the road. But, again, that soundbite was 2017, slightly outdated. They do ha- now have a needle and uh, more treatment uh, abilities for this illness. But, again, there's there have been scares in regards to it, and it's an illness that's been in existence in Africa and hasn't done a ton of damage Um, as far as you know spreading far and wide so i think this is is just another scare and uh i think that a lot of americans reactions to scares at this point are like uh good lord please like government lay off of us we're not afraid of the illness we're afraid of you government (laughs) we're much more afraid of government taking our freedom than an illness taking our lives so i've that i've noticed that's definitely people's reactions um thank you guys so much for tuning in and hopefully we can uh fix these uh tech issues so we can go live again tomorrow before i head home i shouldn't be telling people my plans uh but (laughs) here we are live uh thanks so much for tuning in uh share this video like and subscribe i never tell people to do that i just forget Like and subscribe, it helps, helps, uh, my broadcasts. And we will see ya soon. Bye.
2: you